0: I'm just a poor Wayfaring stranger Jobless Welcome to this podcast from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. Faith Bible Church is a Christ-centered, Bible-teaching ministry dedicated to bringing the good news of the gospel to the whole world. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And now, for this week's message. Good morning. Oh, now it's on. Wow. Got a lot louder really fast there. So how has everybody been? Do you have a good week in the Lord? I did. I had a good week in the Lord. It was good so And I always like that when it's good in the Lord. Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for just who you are, Lord. as we learned this morning in our little uh, Bible study session, Lord, it's about you. It's about you. It's for your glory, Lord, and not ours. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that we know that you are the almighty, omnipotent God. And we just, Lord, (laughs) praise you and thank you for all that you've done for us because that's who you are, the great and powerful I am. Thank you for Jesus. And Lord, as we go through this, small study, Lord, I just ask that you would bless and direct, remove as much of me as possible, Lord, if not all, and thank you for the opportunity, in Jesus' precious name, amen. You can turn to Matthew 5, hopefully you have your Bible there, Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount is one of the most, if not the most famous sermons ever preached, phrases and portion of it are in the hearts and on the lips of millions of people throughout the world they know about the sermon on the mount but i guess we ask ourselves a question does this message from jesus christ presented nearly 2000 years ago have a message for people today does it have a message for us well are people still striving to find happiness That's your part. Yeah, thank you. Are humans still in need of the right principles to guide their conduct? That's an amen. Are there people today who want to know what God really requires in the way of worshiping him and their accountability to him? I would say I hope so. Since these are the very things discussed in the Sermon on the Mount, it is as up-to-date in the 21st century as on the day it was first spoken. It will, therefore, really benefit us to examine a small portion of this incredible, incredible sermon. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' longest explanation of what it looks like to live as his follower, and to serve as a member of his, God's kingdom. Truly, Jesus' teachings during the Sermon on the Mount represent the major ideals of the Christian life, the major ideals of the Christian life. For example, Jesus taught about subjects such as prayer, justice, justice. Care for the needy, handling the religious law, divorce, fasting, judging other people's salvation, and so, so much more. This wonderful sermon also contains both the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer. We will be exp- exploring the Beatitudes this morning. It's in Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Although the Sermon on the Mount has many aspects to it, our main thrust of thought will be on the attitudes. We are to be and exhibit. The word beatitude comes from the Latin version of the Holy Bible, the Vulgate text, meaning blessedness. The phrase blessed are in the Beatitudes implies a current state of happiness or well-being, a current state. This expression held a powerful meaning of divine joy and perfect happiness to the people of Christ's day. In other words, Jesus was staying divinely happy. Divinely happy and fortunate are those who possess these inward qualities It also speaks of a current blessedness as promised in future rewards. The Beatitudes start off and set the tone for Jesus' Sermon on the Mount by emphasizing, and this is important, emphasizing the humble state of humans and the righteousness of God. Each of the Beatitudes depicts the ideal heart condition And that's the title, An Ideal Heart Condition of the Citizen of God's Kingdom. We all have these attitudes available to us as believers, but we don't always exhibit them in our daily lives. These attitudes are what we are to be. So, to be or not to be, that is the question. You see how I threw that? Okay, attitudes (laughs) are the settled way of thinking and feeling about something. That's what they are. They're a settled way of thinking and feeling about something. What I'd like to do is first read the passage, and Pete was so kind to make sure it's up there for you too. I'll read it, and then we're going to research it verse by verse. It says in Matthew 5, 1 through 12, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. Be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. In this portion of Scripture, the word blessed is used eight times. If I've learned anything in the word of God, if God repeats something, I need to pay attention to that. Do you think God wants us to possess and exhibit all these attitudes? Yes, he does. Deep and committed attitudes on our part Equate to deep and committed rewards on God's part. Let's say that again. Deep and committed attitudes on our part equate to deep and committed rewards on God's part. So now let's explore verse by verse. God's inspired word says in verse 1 And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And seeing the multitudes, the previous section is in uh, chapter 4, verse 25, mentioned that great multitudes were following him from all different regions. In response to this, Jesus went up on a mountain to teach. This mountain spoke of here was actually a high area next to the Sea of Galilee. It's amazing how Jesus understood acoustics. So much better than even we do. We must have all these different things. Jesus knew exactly where to go. And by land, it would probably be between Tiberias and Capernaum somewhere along that seven-mile stretch. It would be wrong. It would be wrong to think that Jesus went up on a mountain to remove himself from the multitudes. It is true that Jesus gave this teaching to his disciples, but the use of the term disciples is probably broader than we think, including many among the great multitudes that followed him, mentioned again in Matthew 4.25. By the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the multitude that did follow him in general heard his message and were absolutely amazed. Matthew 7, 28 says the people were astonished at his teaching. So here he is. He sees the multitude. He goes up on a mountainside and he was seated This is amazing as I researched this. It was a common posture for teachers in that culture. It was the custom for the teacher to sit and for the hearer to stand. Sitting was the accepted posture of the synagogue and school teachers. We can see that in Matthew 13, Matthew 24, and many others. So I'm going to sit, and I'd like everybody to stand. Didn't even move. Boy, does that tell you something about our culture? <laughs> wow, we didn't even move. So he's seated. He's prepared. He's ready to give it out. And he says, it says that his disciples came to him. This, again, probably has in mind a group much, somewhat larger, somewhat larger than just the 12. Because if you look at this gospel to this point, they'd have even been mentioned as the main group in the gospel. The Sermon on the Mount is one of the greatest teachings of all time. If you could truly understand its depth, what Jesus is saying, we would be able to discern the entire Bible from it. Let's remember that all of the Scripture in this passage and throughout the Sermon on the Mount, it starts at Matthew 5, 3, are printed in red in our Bibles for you and I. They are the very words of Jesus Christ himself. They are the very words of Jesus Christ himself. I've done this, and I hope you have. Have you ever just gone through the Bible and read all the red? It's fascinating. It's fascinating. I suggest that you read the Sermon on the Mount. So here he is. He sees the multitude. He's on a mountain. He's ready. He sits. The disciples are coming to him. And what does he do? He opened his mouth and taught them. It seems like a little statement, but listen. This means that Jesus used his voice in a strong way to teach the crowd. He spoke with energy, projecting his thoughts with earnestness. This is not for casual conversation like, hi, how are you? but rather deliberate teaching on Jesus' part. Who else likes Charles Spurgeon? Ah, Good, amen. He says Jesus Christ spoke like a man in earnest. He enunciated clearly and spoke loudly. He lifted up his voice like a trumpet and published, and I love words like that, published salvation far and wide, like a man who had something to say which he desired his audience to not only heal, hear, but feel. Again, I read the Sermon on the Mount before I did this. It takes about 15 to 20 minutes. But I'll tell you, it takes a lifetime to absorb, a lifetime to absorb. So here we are, and he's teaching us. He's ready. And he opens up his mouth and he says in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, this is in the present tense. It's saying happy, fortunate, full of joy, and here it speaks of more than just surface emotion. Jesus was describing the divinely bestowed well-being that belongs only, only to the faithful. This should be the basic description of the believer's inner condition. As a result of the work of God, what a paradox, though, to be happy when poor in spirit. What an ideal heart condition. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is opposite than the proud, haughty, or the spirit that is again prideful, the office of self-sufficient but speaks of the deep humility in recognizing one's utter spiritual bankruptcy apart from God. It describes those who are keenly aware of their own lost state and hopelessness apart from God's divine grace. Amen. That is where we are. They have been humbled by the grace of God and have acknowledged their sin, and therefore their dependence is upon God to be saved and then to be continually guided by him. What do they inherit? The kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is a general designation of the dwelling place of the saved. You may not know this, but Matthew would never use the term kingdom of God. You could look through Matthew to see it because jews never spoke the name of god the letter this letter of the king or the matthew was written mainly to the jews so both kingdom of heaven and kingdom of god refer to the same place jesus is saying in the very first verse of the beatitudes can't you understand that you are not self sufficient your spirit is unclean and dependent on the Spirit of God. You are poor in spirit compared to the wealth of God's Spirit. Depend on God and not on self. Jesus was teaching that the kingdom is a gracious gift to those who sense their own poverty of spirit. If you've been saved, hopefully you've realized, realize your helpless state. And if you haven't, you are still in that helpless state. So poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, this blessed is describing the divinely bestowed well-being that belongs only to the faithful. Who mourn mainly speaks of mourning over sin, mourning over sin, godly sorrow that produces repentance leading to salvation. The comfort is the comfort of the forgiveness and the salvation. Second Corinthians 7.10 says this. Oh, you're good, Pete. He's good. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted But the sorrow of the world produces death. They are only sorry when they're caught. We understand we have sinned against an incredibly wonderful, merciful, loving God of the universe. Those that mourn shall be comforted. The depth of this promise, this statement, is inexhaustible. To those who mourn for sin, they shall be comforted in confession. Those who mourn for human anguish of the lost shall be comforted by the compassion of God. So here again in verse 4 as in verse 3, another paradox, happy are they that mourn. But having come to a real awareness of myself, in the light of God, coming to that poverty of spirit, My heart is broken over my own condition. My heart is broken. I mourn over my failures of what I see of myself and in myself. But the promise of the Lord is they shall be comforted. We shall be comforted. There are different ways to look at this statement. In the physical, we mourn for our dead, and truly, we will be comforted. On the great day, we meet Jesus and our beloveds, the ones in the sky. Our mourning will be turned into joy. Our mourning will be turned into joy. There is another way to look at this as well. When we think of our sins, we're grieved, And we mourn. And as I get older, and I hope it is for you, sinning bothers me even more. It bothered me when I was younger, but as the older I get, it's as if I just neglect to remember what God has done and has told me. So I'm extremely grieved that I would do it again But praise God, I think I do it just a tad less than I used to. But we know our comfort is is knowing that we're forgiven. Amen? We are also mourned for those out of fellowship with God. Those, whether relatives, friends, co-workers. It's just heartbreaking. They're out of fellowship with God. It doesn't matter whether they're friends. Again, it doesn't matter whether they're co-workers. We mourn for them. But this is the truth. Our praying for them does not go unnoticed. Many times we have to pray for years, sometimes for decades, yet it does not go unnoticed. Our comfort will come even in this life. I believe it as some will come into the church of Jesus Christ. Now, no one likes to mourn, the idea of mourning, but when it it brings us into salvation, into sanctification, how glorious it is. So we've gone through poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Now we we go to verse 5, which says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This refers again to those who have been humbled, humbled before God, and will not only inherit the blessedness of heaven, but also will ultimately share in the kingdom of God on earth. This word meek, boy, is it misunderstood by so many. It really means humble or mild-mannered. Obviously, this characteristic is not admired by the world. The world admires the aggressor, the one I can do it on my own. But it is not weakness in meekness, but supreme self-control Empowered by the Spirit. That's true meekness. Supreme self-control. Empowered by the Spirit. This is an attitude of the soul towards God and man. Being willing to be instructed by God and willing to receive chastisement when necessary. I cry out in meekness, helplessness, and then I begin to experience the glorious power of God doing in my life what I could not possibly do for myself. And it says, inherit the earth. We will be reigning with Jesus Christ on this earth for 1,000 years before we go into the eternal state. We will literally inherit the earth. Meekness is just another attitude of the humble, the humble Christian heart. And we're looking for the ideal heart condition. He goes on in verse 6 to say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hunger and thirst after righteousness, it speaks of those who seek God's righteousness and listen carefully, rather than attempting to establish a righteousness of their own. We're looking for the righteousness of God, not my own righteousness. Romans 10.3 tells us just how wrong the world can be, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have Submitted to the right, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. They shall be filled who hunger and thirst after righteousness. The Greek word is kordiso. It refers to a complete, complete satisfaction. Psalm 179 says this For he satisfies along his soul and feels fills the hungry heart with goodness. If you're hungry and thirsting after righteousness, surely God will answer that hunger and thirst of your heart, and you will be filled with the righteousness of God if you truly hunger and thirst. Those who are trying to be right standing with God, us the believer who are trying to be in right standing with God, spend a lot of time in the study of God's word. It cannot be that you take this afterwards, go, oh, that was pretty good, and you toss it in the back seat. That doesn't work. We were watching this morning, and in the study that was there, you could just see how it pushes you towards really being in the Word of God yourself. I challenge you to do it more and more. The more we seek, the more we consume of the Word, the more we will be filled So verse 7 says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Those who are merciful shall obtain mercy. It refers to those who have been born again by the mercy of God. They understand that. Because divine love has been extended to them, they have the work of the Holy Spirit in them producing a mercy that defies explanation to the unsaved. we are forgiven Jesus cried out from the cross in Luke 23:34 God Father forgive them for they know not what they do that's incredible mercy our cry is not or should never be for justice from God it should be for mercy for God to be merciful to me. If He was judging me right now, <laughs> I don't make it. But He has mercy, mercy upon me, and we should have mercy on others. He goes on, verse 8 Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. See God not only by faith, but in the glory of heaven. That's where we're going. See Him face to face. What an incredible thing. Hebrews twelve fourteen says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one, no one will see the Lord. Again, I am so happy that Scripture does not say pure in deeds. <laughs> the Lord will judge our hearts on judgment day. It is is said so many times, if we are truly saved, we no longer have the desire in our hearts to sin. We still sin. But the desire should be taken away. It is our heart that has been made new. The Bible says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's Matthew twelve thirty four. And on top of all of this, merciful, pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Peacemakers, they are at peace with God, first of all, and desire to live in peace with all men. Their peace with Christ enables them to be ambassadors of God's message to a troubled, troubled world. They shall be called the children of God. Throughout the Beatitudes, Jesus clearly, clearly emphasized that only those who have the qualities of a changed life, as described here, are truly citizens of the kingdom. If we are his children, if we are his children, we pattern our lives like his, and we too bring peace around us, And he has given us his peace within. Truly, we are his children, followers in his peace. With all that said, up to verse 9, now the blessing changes to those who stand strong, strong in this relationship with him. And remember, all of this is so important for us to put on and constantly exhibit in our lives. Verse 10 10 says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Christ's people are to be in direct contrast to the world in which they live. I'm going to say that again. Too often we look, act, talk, and do everything like the world. And many times we do that because we think that's the only way that they can be brought to Christ. I differ. It is Christ who brings people into the church, not whether what I wear or how I say it. It is Christ who brings it in. Therefore, he reminds us, blessed are those or they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. 2 Timothy 3.12 says it this way. Yes, all who desire, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will, not might be, will suffer persecution. As you read of Paul the Apostle, Paul said to count in all joy when we are persecuted for Jesus. The disciples thought it a great honor to be persecuted for preaching about Jesus. Many are preaching with their congregations want to hear. That's what they're preaching, what they want to hear. They are careful not to stir up the regular members by preaching against adultery, homosexuality, stealing, lying, covetousness, and all other sins of our day if we start preaching hard against these sins, guess what? You will be persecuted. You will be called unloving, unkind. Yet these things are not just offensive to me as a born-again believer. They are offensive to the Almighty God. And that's what's important. I always thought to myself, if somebody said, well, why do you believe the way you believe? It doesn't really matter what I believe. It's what is said to me by God and who God is. That's what it is. It's not I'm against it. God's against it. And if he's against it, then I'm his follower. I need to be against it again. Verse 11 says this, blessed, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. revile. that's criticized in an abusive, angry, and insulting manner. It's attacking, slandering, bad-mouthing the innocent. They persecute you, they harass you, they annoy you, hound you, intimidate you, victimize you, and I would say this. If we don't have any trouble in our lives, maybe check where you're standing on all these issues. Just check where you're standing on all these issues. Because many times we just try to flow with it all, and yet we must stand. We were again speaking this morning about the fact that we're coming to the time where we must stand. There's no more stepping aside and being only sweet about everything. Obviously, we want to be pee pee with peace with all men. Obviously, we want to be loving and gentle. But truly, the time is coming. And they do this falsely. They do this falsely. It's an untruth. It has no fact to it. It can happen again in your workplace. It can happen with so low. Called friends. It can even happen with other Christians. And certainly it's happening and will continue to happen with our government. We will be persecuted. And it's coming. You read the headlines as I read the headlines. It's coming. What will we do? What will we do? We're going to do verse 12. That's what we're going to do. We're going to rejoice. And be exceedingly glad, because when we're persecuted, because we're doing the right things, we are rewarded in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice, listen to this, is not a suggestion. It's a command. Isn't that amazing? Rejoice. I need this ca- command in the morning sometimes when I wake up. I'm not always at rejoicing. The command grows out of the blessedness of the believer. The phrase, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, is to be overjoyed. And means even more great is the reward in heaven focuses its attention on eternal destiny of all things. Even if we live to 80, 90 years old, it's that fast. And then we start an incredible length of time that no one even has any possible understanding of. If the Bible is true, if heaven is to be gained, then no. No temporary earthly trouble or persecution can rob the child of God of joy in the prospect of eternal glory that lies ahead. Amen. Nothing can rob us of it. I know where I'm going. I know by this just that much of what's up there for me. And it sounds great. They've persecuted Jesus because he didn't fit into their pattern. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We are not to be in the flow of this world. They will persecute the followers of Jesus for the same reasons. You know, there is a great shaking up in the true true church today. Only those who are truly sold out for Jesus will stand. The rest will fall. So, in conclusion, Jesus says it better than I could ever say it. So I'm going to go to Scripture. Matthew seven twenty four through 25 says this, Therefore, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. That rock is Jesus. This must be our heart condition. Again, as I said in the beginning, we have these attitudes. Are they becoming more and more bold in our lives? Verse 26 and 27 goes on the negative side to tell us this. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. A foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and the beat on the house, and it fell. And great was its fall. The world hardens its heart. That's their hard condition. And lastly, verses 28 through 29. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. That's why I said in the beginning, reading just the red portion, sometimes it's just overwhelming. These are the very words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and they have authority. God's, Jesus's heart condition was this. He had authority. I would say this. God help us to possess not just a little bit of blessed are the poor and blessed are the merciful, but have an, an ideal heart condition. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time. I thank you for the word. Lord, it's powerful. It's your word, Lord. Lord, we just, as we go on with the rest of this service, Lord, let it be a blessing. Let the fragrance just go up to you in a sweet and loving way. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this teaching. And Lord, let it penetrate our hearts and minds. We thank you in Jesus' precious, precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching of God's Word from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you and that the Word of God will fill your hearts and minds as you walk through this world. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would like to make a small donation to help defray the cost of this podcast, just click on the green Support button at the top of the webpage. Thank you.